the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, we've got a great show today. Thank you for being with us. We're doing it. I'm pre-recording this show, so I'm just going to kind of uh, give you more of a, a conversation on what the season is. And obviously for many of us, uh, it is the Easter season, uh, and uh, it is important to uh, you know, it is important to celebrate and to be aware of that. So let me say I have a couple of great guests. Father Frank Pavone will be with us in a few moments. I pre-recorded his segment. It's great. He's got a new website, ProLifeMaga.com, which we'll talk about uh, with him. He talks about. And also we have an interview with uh, Dr. Ken Stevenson. Dr. Ken Stevenson is an extraordinary guy. He will be with us and he will uh, walk us through uh, his experience of the Shroud of Turin. And I'll tell you about that in a second. So first of all, what season? What's the season? What, the, what, what season are we in? First of all, baseball started yesterday, which makes me happy. It's the beginning of baseball season. But um, what season is it? You know, the season we're in is uh, one that feels very political, right? There's too much politics. Everybody's sick of it. I'm sick of it. I, I assume you are. And so we have to remember we're being drawn, again, by the power of the, the narrative machine, as I call it. We're being drawn into uh, the politics, that everything is about politics. Everything's about politics. We find ourselves drawn into that. And the fact is that the truth of politics, the truth of life, is that politics won't solve our lives. They won't solve our problems. They sometimes can fix some of them, but they won't solve the problems at the heart of our lives. There's only, you know, only through our faith and our family can we solve those, the big problem. And so one of the things I want to tell you is the season we're in feels like it's a political season, but it needs to be something else. If you're a believer, it's a great time for Christians because it's uh, Easter season. Uh, for the Jewish community, they've got their own holidays. And, and uh, I encourage people to remember the American season it's only a few hundred years old. The American season is based in the Judeo-Christian values. It's based in the scriptures and in the teaching and life of Christ. And when you get renewed in that, you get a perspective that you just don't put your faith in Pelosi. You don't even put your faith in Trump. You don't put your faith in any man or woman in political power. You look bigger than that. You look, you look to a larger solution. And so what I want to encourage you at this time, especially, you know, listening to this program just a few days before Easter, is to think about, for me, there's these great, great um, tools in bringing yourself closer. You can't, you're not going to sort of suddenly um, overnight, you know, going to just uh, do one thing and it's going to take two hours and suddenly your life's going to be different. It's always a system of bringing more uh, of what you believe should be in your life into your life. So it could be five hours a day, excuse me, five minutes a day, five hours, five minutes a day of reading scripture. Uh, it could be two minutes of prayer. It could be waking up in the, middle of the, in the middle of the night or in the morning, and the first thing you do when you open your eyes is to say a prayer of thanks for another day, for another opportunity, for another life. 
for another moment in life. Whatever those seasons are, and what I want to encourage you to think about is that if you can turn your heart and your mind to a sort of out of politics and away from the narrative machine and away from the insanity and towards things that are bigger, faith and God, you'll start to see it makes a difference. And back to the tools, scripture's a tool, you know, being around a faith community is a tool. And one of the things that, uh, that you can look at when you look at, uh, these tools is the things that have inspired other people. So as I mentioned in a few moments, we'll talk with Dr. Ken Stevenson. Dr. Stevenson is an incredible story. American story lives in Waco, Texas, grew up, I think in Pittsburgh, got himself into the, uh, into the air force Academy because of the strength of his school, because his evangelical preacher, mother, grandmother told his mother to send him to Catholic school, goes off to the air force Academy, becomes a bomber pilot decorated in Vietnam comes home and becomes a professor at the Air Force Academy. By the way, I don't know if I mentioned African-American, you know, trailblazer at this period. And there he is. And he and his buddies are driving to and from work at the Air Force Academy. And they're all scientists or science guys, you know, pilots, fighter pilots. He himself is a communications guy. Uh, but uh, the other guys are NASA, all sorts of things. And they start talking about this and they say, hey, what if we... What if we don't believe... One of the guys says, what if I don't believe in God because my brain is so big and I can't figure it out? Why would I believe? And he says, well, you know, maybe... And one, anyway, they strike onto this thing of the Shroud of Turin. This is the late 70s. And these four guys become the, 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 the root, the center of an effort called the Shroud of Turin Research Project, shortened to STIRP. And by 1978, the STIRP, 40 members, they worked at NASA, they worked at the, uh, at the uh, different, uh, uh, in different government agencies, the Air Force Academy, these men and women, I think they're men and women, but they go over and they examine the Shroud of Turin for eight days, six days, and they come away and they basically say, there's nothing that makes sense for how this was printed. There's nothing that we can understand that makes sense for how this was printed. It wasn't printed on cloth. It wasn't um, painted on cloth. We don't understand. We can't even use the word printed. And they came away saying, this is something special. And they came away. And as uh, Ken Stevenson says, he went on later to become a pastor, an evangelical pastor. He said people came away and they didn't really even have a sense. There wasn't like people that they didn't all come away converted, but some of them came away saying, boy, there was something there. And over time, they all came to believe that the shroud was, in fact, a, a, a first the shroud of of Christ. And uh, Ken's gone on to write five books about it and others have. <clears throat> written about it there's been intervening things like they carbon dated part of it and they most people think a lot of people think they did it wrong um so it wasn't it was it, it looks like it had said it was created in the 16 uh 1500s or maybe even the 1300s but that's been disputed now but more importantly for pastor dr ken stevenson he writes and talks about it as an aid to thinking about god and praying about god and understanding god and understanding faith and it's a very powerful tool. That's my point is it's a tool for you to use, for me to use, to draw ourselves to thinking about God. That's the power of it. And there's lots of other things. Some people will be drawn uh, over the Easter season just by the presence of family, right? Just being able to be with family. But sometimes that's hard. Sometimes the family stuff is not easy. It makes you go the opposite way. You're frustrated with family. But this is an opportunity and a season. And what I want to encourage you is step away from the politics. 
Step away from all this rhetoric. Step away from the narrative machine that tries so hard to divide people, that tries so hard to put us into the camp. You're either a true believer of CNN or a true believer of Fox. If you're in between, if you don't have, they're going to drive you crazy trying to make you one or the other. None of it is worth what it's doing to our nation. And there has to be times where we pause and push away from the narrative machine, away from all this stuff, and get ourselves back focused. And that's what I'm arguing for. That's what I think you should be doing. That's the season we're in. And, you know, one of the things that we're going to see, I hope, is more leaders arise who are leaders not just of the season of politics, but more of the the season of what else is happening, what else is going on in our lives, what else we're seeing uh, occurring Bigger things, hopefully, better things and more meaningful things than some of the, the stuff that we're rushing around being told we're supposed to focus on. That's what the season is. All right. I, um, I do a prayer call. I'm going to make a last invitation. Every uh, Friday at uh, 10 a.m. Central Time, we have a National Prayer for America call. It's just a phone call. You don't have to do Skype or Zoom. You can join, and it lasts for just about 20 minutes. Sometimes it'll be 22 or 3 minutes. Sometimes it'll be 18, but it's never more than that if we can help it because our goal is simply to gather together and pray and pray for each other and for the nation and pray for each other and for the nation. And we don't uh, complicate it. We do take some prayer requests, but we don't complicate it with much more. We just kind of stick to the basics so that people can uh, be focused on uh, what's happening and, and, and what's going on in their lives and the season we're in. So you're always welcome to join us. Again, it's, uh, it's on every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time. You can join the Prayer for America. If you would like to just email me directly, you can email me ed at phyllisschlafly.com, ed at phyllisschlafly.com, and I'll email you, I'll add you to the email list, and you can be a part of the Prayer for America, ed at phyllisschlafly.com. Everybody, uh, we're going to got a couple great guests, and we'll finish things up in this last episode of the Pro-America Report before Easter. I hope everybody is getting ready to have a good Easter, get themselves in the right mind frame for the season we're in. Not the season of politics, not the season of CNN, not the season even of uh, Fox News, but the real season Uh, In this case, the Easter season. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is our old friend, uh, Father Frank Pavone. He's been with us a number of times over the years. He, of course, is the uh, founder and the leader of Priests for Life. If you go to priestsforlife.org, you'll find lots and lots of good work there. It's not it's not only priests that are doing the life work. Of course, Dr. Alveda King is one of the more famous leaders there, does a ton of work, but lots of others, too. It's amazing uh, ministry that Father Frank Pavone has led. But also, I want to mention, uh, he started a website. It's called ProLifeMaga.com. And it's a project to underscore the successes over the last four years, the Trump presidency on the pro-life front. So first of all, Father Frank Pavone, uh, welcome uh, back and uh, happy Easter to you in this Easter season. I know it's a busy time for priests and a busy time for you. So thank you for taking the time with us. Oh, it's always a pleasure Ed, to be with you and your audience. Happy Easter to you as well. Okay, thank you. So, ProLifeMaga.com. Uh, give me, uh, give me your kind of one minute or whatever number of minutes uh, uh, a spiel on Trump's presidency as a pro-life success. It has been the best that we've ever had. He has done more than any other president, and he promised that. You know, when I was uh, helping out in the, in his first campaign, 
and, and he uh, said, you know, I'm going to do as much as any pro-life president in the past has done and more. And that and more proved so true. It was hard for us to even keep up with the accomplishments. But not only in the pro-life arena, but in so many other arenas. And, of course, you, Ed, in your book about his accomplishments have laid this out as well, that in, in, in everywhere you look, uh, his accomplishments have been historic. So I'm convinced that, you know, the left, they didn't only just want him out of the White House. They want him out of the minds and hearts of the American people. And we can see that in the continued brazen uh, censorship of, of President Trump uh, and his followers in many, many different ways. Uh, and we've got to do just the opposite. And that's the idea behind the pro-life MAGA, uh, is that this movement has only just begun, as the president has said. And uh, we're with him and we're building on these accomplishments and we're defending them and we're teaching others about them. And that's what this website and this movement are about. Well, and we're talking with Father Frank Pavone, and of course, uh, priestforlife.org is another place you can find all his work. Uh, Pro-Life uh, MAGA Project is another one. Um, before I go back to that for a second, I, you just made me think of something. As, as outspoken as you are and fearless, because everybody knows Father Frank Pavone is, is one of the fearless uh, conservative uh, religious leaders. Have you been, uh, uh, have you found yourself uh, uh, knocked off of Facebook? I mean, you do, you do all kinds of things from prayer groups that are... Um, overtly praying for uh, against the pro-abortion movement and all I, I guess i don't remember right now if you were you silenced on uh, any of the major social media uh, platforms well actually ed i have not been and, and it's interesting that you ask that because uh we have been um we have been very fortunate and uh i mean we have a great of course a great social media team uh that uh is they're very scrupulous they'll come into me every day and they'll say okay there was just this new rule on on facebook or these new norms on youtube and make sure we're doing it this is we do our best to, to 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 follow the rules now obviously many many others have followed the rules and they've still been kicked off but so far so good as far as uh, our content is concerned interesting well that's congratulations to you that is a credit because uh, that's as you, part of it is um part of it is they just target some people but part of it is some of our good guys will and gals will sometimes give themselves uh give the uh give the opening for the the other side to take a you know take a pull them back so all right now back to pro-life maga if you had to say um forget forget the judges in the sense that everybody kind of can see that now i mean it is a historic achievement what's the one or two uh, pro-life victories that Donald Trump was able to deliver that people might not notice, they not, may not realize. Yes. Well, he, first of all, has empowered pro-life groups to uh, pursue their agendas. And what I mean is there were many, many hidden obstacles. For example, uh, a lot of this intersects with pro-life with religious freedom. But for mm. the, the, the right for pro-life groups to be able to, uh, you know, run, uh, for example, the pregnancy centers and, and some of them enter into contracts with the government and some of them are able to receive funding. And before President Trump, you know, there were an amazing amount of prejudicial kinds of extra hoops to go through and and uh, 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 bending over backwards. Sometimes it felt like we had to compromise our faith. Other times we were told outright of, you know, uh, uh, requirements that essentially were trying to force us to cooperate with the abortion industry. And what he has done with conscience uh, and the freedom to pursue our, our mission has been uh, truly, again, historic. He removed 
uh, so many of the burdensome regulations. He saved our ministry, literally saved our ministry uh, and many other pro-life ministries from the um, HHS mandate. Uh, and he also established an Office of Conscience and Religious Freedom, which dealt a lot with abortion-related things. You know, for example, doctors and nurses who, who uh, had been struggling for years being forced to, to uh, participate in abortion, and their conscience was not being respected. And President Trump enforced existing laws by means of a new office under the uh, HHS. So mm. those are some of the more, more hidden accomplishments. Yeah, we're talking. We're talking with Father Frank Pavone, uh, head of Priest for Life, and uh, this uh, pro-life MAGA project. Um, and and uh, Father, um, I, I have often said to people in the last two or three months, especially as it's become clear, you know, before it happened and then after it happened, that we're going to have a new president, um, and here we are. That the contrast is going to be jarring. I mean, you know, we have this guy yeah. Joe Biden who says he's a says he's a uh, Catholic and all, and I again, I don't I don't get between uh, God and 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 the people, but I. I watch the actions of people. And I mean, by, by comparison, you're, it's also jarring uh, to see this president. And, and you know, the media hides a lot of it uh, from us. But, you know, how, how big a contrast, maybe what are some of the lowlights of, of Biden's uh, first two months in, in office? Well, pouring money back into the abortion industry is, is a big one. And he did that right out of the gate. Uh, pouring money back into the abortion industry by means of, of working to reverse, uh, first of all, the Mexico City policy and other, mm-hmm. other funds, streaming funds that were coming through on the international level, uh, plus uh, trying now it's going to take a few extra steps, but uh, restoring the Title Ten money. I, I mean, President Trump forced Planned Parenthood to, to, to get out of the Title X program, by which they were getting $63 million a year. And, um, uh, you know, these are some of the actions that Biden wasted no time uh, taking. Um, and even more extreme is this Equality Act, which would, um, I mean, the, the only equality that it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's uh, uh, trying to advance is, um, you know, when it comes to abortion, is, is putting it on the same footing as, as legitimate medical procedures. And uh, money would flow in without the, the uh, protections of conscience that have traditionally, even in a bipartisan way, uh, kept a lot of tax money away from the abortion industry because of people's objections. So we see well, there couldn't be more of a polar opposite uh, uh, difference between yeah. what President Trump has done and what we see now happening in Washington. Well, and, I, and it's it's hard it's hard to keep up with the, what the media doesn't cover. But I, you know, they they also this week or last week, I guess it was there, I don't know, ten or twelve judge appointments, and they're all pro-abortion. You know, their vision is uh, a government abortion uh, is abortion is a protected right. That whole vision. Uh, uh, we're talking with again with Father Frank Pavone. I want to make sure to say the uh, website again, so the people that want to track into this can go. It's called ProLifeMaga.com. ProLifeMaga.com. Father Frank Pavone, finish up here. We got a minute or two. Uh, you know, the resurrection. Uh, is good news, right? The bad news is that Christ had to die on a cross. The good news is he rose from the dead. And I, sometimes it feels like we're uh, we're in the uh, we're in the Good Friday period here with what's happening in the, in the Washington and in the, in our culture. But we know that there is hope. Give us some hope, Father. Well, you know, the, the, imagine how the apostles felt on Good Friday. I mean, it was absolutely uh, uh, mind-boggling, and, and he had been taken away. They saw him crucified, and, 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 and it's like they had put all their hope in him. And yet mm-hmm. he had promised 
that he would rise from the dead, but it was hard for them to process. It's the same with us. We, we fill up, as Paul says, in our own lives, in our own flesh, what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Not that there's anything lacking in itself, but that in us, we need to participate with him. So we are indeed celebrating a victory, which is not just Jesus' victory. We don't just congratulate him on Easter for rising from the dead. We go because we celebrate because it's a victory he shares with us. The entire kingdom of death and of sin and of falsehood has been overcome. That's what we're celebrating this weekend. Well, and thank you, Father. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people um, in the depths of the political uh, mess and the swamp uh, get a lot of comfort from your leadership as a, as a religious leader who uh, makes his voice heard so well. So thank you, Father Frank Pavone. We appreciate it. God bless you. And we'll talk again soon. Okay, Ed. God bless you. Happy Easter. Thank you. You too. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Very excited to have our next guest on, Dr. Kenneth Stevenson. He is a pastor. Uh, his kind of, uh, I don't know if it's his day job, it's really his calling. He's a pastor at a church in Waco, Texas, uh, and he is, uh, it's called Everlasting Covenant. I think that's right. But he also has the distinction of being an Air Force veteran, uh, a pilot who is a uh, heroic service in, uh, in Vietnam, and then he's written books. He's written a number of books, many of them which I either have or have read. One is called Naza, uh, White Linen and the Blood of Sprinkling, uh, and the other one that I have, in, I, I'm, well, I'm, again, I said I have, he's got four or five books, I have all of them. One, one is called Verdict on the Shroud, and so here's the interesting thing, and I wanted to have him on because I saw him in Waco, Texas last week when I was there. Um, Ken Stevenson, as a young uh, professor at the Air Force Academy where he went, he and some friends decided, hey, let's go st- study the Shroud of Turin, the, the famous uh, uh, famous uh, piece of, of uh, linen, I guess, or whatever the whatever it would be, that it was repu- is reputed to be the uh, Shroud of Christ, and it's housed in Turin, in Torino, in Italy. And so they put this together, these, these you know, Air Force Academy, I guess you get a bunch of guys that are like, let's do it. So, and for six days in 1978, they studied the Shroud and came back. And the more interesting thing, in my mind, is that uh, Ken Stevenson came back, and he's a pastor, and he talks about the historic reality of Christ and what the Shroud says. So it's a fascinating man on many levels. And so first of all, welcome, Dr. Kenneth Stevenson. How are you today, sir? I am blessed, Ed, and great to be with you. It's a very exciting time that we're living in. I know things can be challenging, but we're also coming up on Holy Week, and for one of those great times that Passover and Holy Week coincide, and what a witness to the Jewish people. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, and we, so let me go back for one second. Again, we're talking with, uh, with uh, author, uh, pastor, Dr. Kenneth Stevenson. You're riding in a car commuting to the Air Force Academy as a professor with other professors, and you start talking about believing in God. And tell that story about one of the professors who said, you know, I'm a scientist. Let me explain how this should go. Uh, walk us through that story. You told, me, you told yeah. it to me. It's a great one. D. German. We had three Christians and one agnostic. And, you know, and we were discussing God, and he said, you know, God gave me this scientific brain, and why wouldn't he reveal himself to me through science? And on and on and on. And the physicist said to him, what about the Shroud of Turin? Well, I had heard of it. I'd seen it as a cadet at a Catholic discussion group. I was raised Catholic. And I said, oh, yeah, I remember that. And he said, what is it? And the physicist said, well, people believe it's the burial cloth of Christ. And Dee said, has it ever actually been studied? 
well, no. He said, well, if it was studied and shown to be true, then maybe I would believe. Now, as it turns out, uh, D wrote one of the, the forward um, reviews for Nizam because some years later, as he continued to research this, um, among, among the rest of us, I mean, we thought, a lot of guys thought they disproved it about five minutes. And it's been a right. long five minutes. And D was giving the lecture. He was giving the lecture, and he said he felt like God tapped him on the shoulder and said, you've seen it, you've touched it, you've studied it, you can't reproduce it, and you're proud to be the group's resident agnostic. And he just broke down <laughs> and gave his heart to Christ. And, and wow. he's a great guy, great guy. So, yeah, God is good. It's uh, so and and so you when you studied it, you guys studied it. There's guys from NASA. There's guys that are physics, physics engineers. There's all these different, you know, Air Force Academy. The guys of 40 people went over and studied it for six days, 24 hours a day for six days, 1978. And um, what did you find? And actually, what, what I can say it differently. What did you um, what did you go over there thinking you'd find because you've been already doing some things to, to prepare for it? And and how did it play out? Well, it actually, one of the reasons that we were able to gather such um, astute scientists, NASA, Jet Propulsion Lab, Sandia, Los Alamos, Brooks Institute of Photography, is that we made this incredible discovery that the image is three-dimensional, that somehow encoded into the very fibers, and in fact, it's actually the upper curved surface of the fibers of the threads, is information that will produce a three-dimensional image. And we got that from a spinoff of space technology. That's a whole other story. But anyway, so we got these guys, and many of them said, well, let's go and see. They were convinced that it might be a painting, that they might find pigment or something like that. And when we got there, there was no paint, there was no pigment, there was no dye. It took three years, a little better than three years, to analyze, collate, get peer review of what we collected in those six 24-hour days. But I tell you, by that time, I would be willing to bet 29, 30 out of those 40 were convinced, not only that it was a burial garment. We, we said that when we came back. It's a real burial garment. We don't know if it's Christ. But it's a real burial mm -hmm. garment of somebody who's crucified just like Christ, and we can't reproduce the image. And mm -hmm. that was, I mean, we've used laser technology. They've taken uh, corpses and covered them with, with myrin aloes and put them in ovens. I mean, they've done everything to try to reproduce this image, and it fails. Uh, we're, again, we're talking with uh, Ken Stevenson and, and his many books. One of them is called Naza White Linen and the Blood of Sprinkling. Very interesting book uh, that includes sort of um, not just the history of the Shroud of Turin and all, but uh, about what the uh, what the crucifixion was was and how it played out. And there's all these different books. But Ken, um, in the 80s, and I will only have a few more minutes, but in the 80s, there was carbon dating. And the guys at Carbon Dating, I'm read, reading one of those books, by the way, um, said, yeah, it was from like the 1300s. And, uh, and, um, and you dispute that others disputed what's the summary of that and why did they get it wrong was it intentional or was it was it a mistake originally i would have said a mistake but having just done the forward for the 1988 c14 dating of the shroud of turin a stunning expose and also having worked with ray rogers who was the first to prove 
that they dated cotton fibers and not the linen fibers. The cotton fibers were woven in after a fire that occurred in the Middle Ages. So, of course, you're going to get a Middle Aged date. Um, right. But initially, I would have said it was a mistake. But after doing all the research, it was, in my opinion, very deliberate. Uh, I even have a book by one of the guys who was convinced before ever seeing this route that it was a hoax. And he very politely includes me throughout his book. My son said so much that I should be getting royalties. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The comments that he made, he makes the case because he basically says, oh, well, because Ken Stevenson is a Christian, um, he's not objective. Uh, excuse me. We had Catholics, Protestants, Jews, atheists, agnostics. We were the first equal opportunity scientific expedition ever to study a religious relic. And now you come back and you find that most of these guys not only believe it's Christ, but believe it's evidence for the resurrection makes a whole new case. Hmm. And so what happens next, though? Right. So in the eight, you do this in 78. It's a it's a it's a it's an all star team of uh, scientists and others has a huge impact. One of the books that you, I guess, edited and wrote, it becomes a bestseller. But then in 80, in 88, 10 years later, there's this carbon dating. It sort of puts the damper on it. And a bunch of the frankly, a bunch of the custodians of the of the do, of the document, including uh, uh, the archbishop, I think, of, of Turin, the Catholic archbishop, who's the who's the caretaker or, or whatever. He kind of says, oh, yeah, I guess it's not it or whatever. So here we are, 25, 30, 40 years later, I guess uh, 30, 30 plus years later, where are we? What happens next or what's the story? Well, in my opinion, and one of the reasons I wrote this, uh, I thought I was done when I wrote Image of the Risen Christ. But the Lord made it clear I had another book to write. And what I began to find is that, number one, you hear the term a lot, fake news. That carbon-14 date was fake news, but it has real consequences. And when you look at the facts that I was able to uncover in Scripture, things I didn't know. Remember, I've been involved in this thing for 44 years. I didn't mm -hmm. know what was hidden in Scripture. I didn't know what was the original Hebrew. I didn't understand that word, Nazar, will blow your mind. I'm sure you know. And yep, yep. when you start looking at that, here's what I think is next, and I think it's most important, and I am doing all in my power to get that message out there. The shroud was not, in my opinion, as much for the Christian church as it is for the lost sheep of Israel. And when you compare hmm. Isaiah 52 and 53 with Zechariah 12, and then you find out that Paul is quoting Isaiah in Romans 10 and 11, and he says, the, when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, all Israel shall be saved. Well, listen, Ed, the time of the Gentiles, if it hasn't already come, which I think it has, when the Jews in Israel first took authority over the Temple Mount after that terrible tragedy that occurred there a couple of years back. It was the first time that they actually took authority over the Temple Mount. My opinion, time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. My Bible says all Israel shall be saved. Zechariah says hmm. it this way. They're going to look on the one they pierced and mourn for him. But let me ask you a question. Christians believe mm -hmm. Jesus is coming back. The Jews believe the Messiah right. is going to be revealed. If the Messiah were revealed today as the King of Israel, would they mourn or would they cheer? I think they'd cheer. If Christians mm -hmm. saw Jesus coming in the clouds, would we mourn or would we cheer? We would cheer. So the question is, how are they going to look 
on what they've never seen and mourn. And why mourn? Because they're going to see the Messiah of Israel dead. And that matches Isaiah 52. It says his marred body and his marred face is going to sprinkle, Nazah, and startle, Nazah. Kings will shut their mouths because that would have not been told them, shall they see. I got hmm. a question. How can they see yeah. it unless there's a picture? Uh-huh. There you go. Wow. Well, yeah, you did that better on the radio than you did when I saw you last two weeks ago. So, uh, well, listen, I, I think it's I, I think it's extra. I'm, I'm sitting here sort of stump, uh, dumbfounded. So uh, I got to run, unfortunately, I run out of time. Dr. Kenneth Stevenson, he's on LinkedIn. You can track him down there. His book is Nazah, N-A-Z-A-H, other books. And I think you're going to hear from him some more uh, in the coming days. Uh, thanks, Ken, very much. We got to run. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. The conservative pro-family broadcast of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a leading voice for the sanctity of life, traditional education, the Constitution, and American sovereignty. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. Alexis de Tocqueville is a name well-known to educated Americans as a remarkable Frenchman who traveled our country in the mid-19th century and wrote his perceptive commentaries about what kind of country we had formed. His book, published in 1835, after nine months of traveling, was called Democracy in America. It has been described as the most comprehensive analysis of character and society in America ever written. Here are some words of wisdom from Alexis de Tocqueville's book, which I think would be appropriate on the day after the great Christian feast of Easter. Upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. In France, I had almost always seen the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom marching in opposite directions. But in America, I found they were intimately united. Continuing to quote from Alexis de Tocqueville, the Americans combine the notions of Christianity and of liberty so intimately in their minds that it is impossible to make them conceive the one without the other. They brought with them into the new world a new form of Christianity, which I cannot better describe than by styling it a democratic and republican religion. Then, in Book Two of Democracy in America, de Tocqueville added this— Christianity has therefore retained a strong hold on the public mind in America. In the United States, Christianity itself is a fact so irresistibly established that no one undertakes either to attack or defend it. My comment is, this is just one more confirmation of the fact that the people who created America believed in their right and duty to call upon Almighty God and His Son, Jesus Christ, in all kinds of public places and events. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. When America turns our back on our Christian heritage, we shouldn't be surprised when biblical precepts like honesty, kindness, respect, justice, and freedom are abandoned. At phyllisschlafly.com, we still believe in rights endowed by our Creator. If you agree, find out more at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome, welcome, Ed Martin here. Great to have you back, and uh, it is time to wrap up the uh, show as you head into Easter weekend. Hope everybody has a wonderful Easter. Uh, Many, many traditions people have for Easter. Let me tell you a couple of ours. When I was a boy, this was a fun tradition that my parents started. When I was a boy, my parents gave each of us a book. This makes this may explain why all these years later I have hundreds and thousands and thousands of books. Uh, but what happened was on on Easter morning you come down and there would be uh, the Easter um, uh, you know the Easter egg hunt. We'd have Easter eggs hidden. We would have uh, candy and all that stuff and chocolate bunnies. But always a nice book. A nice book, usually a hardback book, as I recall it. I'm not sure that's totally true, but in my head, that's right. And so that was our tradition. The other tradition that we had was we never uh, did uh, Easter vigil. We always did uh, church on Easter Sunday, and we did the later of the services, closer to noon if there was a noon service. So that was our thing. And then we had late dinner, and our dinner was always uh, ham. Some people had lamb. Some people had uh, roast beef. Ours was always ham. The Easter ham that was in our tradition. I'm not sure again, I'm sure why. And uh, it was, I have great memories of my childhood uh, Easter's. Very, very uh, wonderful. I have one sister and one brother. My sister's a year older, my brother's four years younger, and uh, we all got along pretty well. So it was uh, good memories, good memories in Easter. I hope that everybody will have a, uh, a great Easter. I know one thing about it is always, it's, it's not always easy for families. You know, this is uh, holidays or sometimes. Uh, difficult for some families, you know the kinds of um, the kinds of problems families have sometimes come to the fore during Easter. I guess I just remember one of my aunts uh, who just said the holidays are a good time to forget what you're mad about. I don't know if she said the mad about, but forget meaning people shouldn't hold grudges and all. Just try to forget it and focus on being together. And uh, probably good advice. Uh, for this time of the year. Uh, let me see a couple more things. I got a message from someone. Um, oh, I know what I was going to tell you. This is an interesting one. My daughter's birthday is April 4th. So on Easter Sunday, she will have a birthday. And she was looking at the calendar, as children would do, to see when her birthday would fall on Easter Sunday again. And she says, I don't know if I believe her. It's hard for me to believe, but I guess it's it's I guess it's plausible that it won't happen on her. That April fourth is Easter Sunday for like eighty years. So this will be the last time in her life that she actually has her birthday. April fourth is Easter Sunday. So that was kind of a fun thing to discover. I myself, I assumed. When you have a birthday like that, it's always around the time. She's she's April 4th. She ends up a couple times. A baseball season open on her birthday. Uh, another time we were traveling, and it was uh, Good Friday, I remember. So I just assumed it would come around again, but she said it doesn't. So we'll see about that. That's kind of a good one. That'll, but So we have this funny experience of celebrating her birthday on Easter Sunday kind of a bummer uh in a way for her it's like having a a christmas birthday uh you know you get kind of lost in the in the shuffle of other people coming in and uh well the big news is we're going to have a wonderful uh weekend for me and my family we have no guests coming in from out of town but uh the kids are all home obviously off of school we put a new deck on our house and so we have this big beautiful deck in the back we'll have easter i imagine we'll have easter dinner together on the deck and uh 
and that's a nice uh, weather looks like it's going to be perfect so we're looking forward to it so my best wishes for each of you my encouragement to each of you is uh use this holiday season as we talked earlier in the show uh to get yourself away from politics away from pandemics away from uh, all the worries and focus on the season of family of faith and of uh god And uh, I think that would be worth it. So I want to say again, thank you for the great privilege to have a radio show with you all and uh, turn it into a podcast and be with so many great people. We have so many awesome guests, so many awesome interactions with listeners. Uh, Just again, say thank you for all of your kindness being a part of this. Thank you to Noah, our great technical director, for always keeping things. He's everything. He's a producer, technical director. He's got show ideas. He does a great job. Uh, so thank you, Noah, for all you do. Thank you to Joanna and the many guests, especially our regular guests who come on so frequently. Uh, very grateful for the chance uh, to keep doing these great interviews and this great show. So thank you. And thank you to you, the listeners. Thank you to The Answer San Diego, Steve Brodsky, and others uh, there that keep things going very grateful for the chance to do this together so i hope everybody has a great easter and we will be back next week it's ed martin here on the pro america report this is the pro america report on the answer san diego